Amen. You may or may not be aware of this, but today is um, Religious Liberty Sunday. It is a day for the church to pray for the persecuted church around the world and for persecution that may be happening here in the United States. Um, it is Religious Liberty Sunday, but we are called to obey God rather than men. This is a foundation upon which we build this idea of religious liberty and freedom to practice our religion. In March of 2010, the United States Congress passed, and it was signed by the President, the Affordable Care Act. As part of the HHS mandate, all employers would have to to provide contraception to their employees in their insurance plans. That contraception includes the pill Ella and the morning after pill, both of which have been shown to cause abortions. So, a craft store, which many of you have heard of, Hobby Lobby, and many of you ladies might frequent, um, said we're not going to provide this coverage in our insurance plans. The owners of Hobby Lobby are Christians. They're believers. And they don't want to pay for any kind of drug that might cause an abortion, the taking of a human life. And so they took the Health and Human Services Department of the United States government to court. And it was eventually taken all the way to the Supreme Court. Um... This last week, we were expected to hear a ruling from the Supreme Court on this issue. Can the government force individuals who own a company to provide abortifacient drugs to their employees? Does this strike against Christian liberty? Does it strike against religious liberty to force a business owner to go against their conscience? We didn't hear a ruling this last week, and we will hear a ruling tomorrow on this issue from the Supreme Court. So we wait and we pray that our brothers and sisters in Christ would be able to live out their conscience even in the workspace. Aaron Klein. It's a man, his wife Melissa. They own a bakery in Oregon. I'm sorry, we need to release kids. I just like jumped right in. Children... Go to children's worship. Y'all are like, I don't want to listen to this dude. Uh, so. Y'all are released for children's worship. Sorry about that. It's been a long 24 hours. They're like, mandates, religious, religious liberty... this dude talking about all right Aaron Klein his wife Melissa own a bakery in Oregon they've owned and operated this bakery for many years um, serving everyone who would walk through their doors a couple of years ago a couple came in to their bakery and wanted a cake made and uh, it was a mother and a daughter um, who came in to have a cake made, and it was a wedding cake. 
And while talking to um, this mother and daughter about the wedding and the ceremony and all those things, the owners found out this was for a gay marriage ceremony, that this young lady was marrying another lady. And he politely told her, we don't bake cakes for gay marriage ceremonies. We are believers, and so we don't take part in that. We're happy to serve you here in the store. We're happy to make cakes for birthdays, for anything else. That is the one thing um, that we do not feel our consciences will let us take part in. Rather than going to another baker in Portland, which is no religious city by any definition, um, they decided they would sue this Christian baker who refused to make a cake for their wedding. Um, And this lesbian couple won. And so two years later, after many hearings and court dates, um, Aaron Klein and his wife Melissa are shutting down their business because the state of Oregon decided they would be forcing um, this couple to make cakes for gay wedding ceremonies. And so instead of going against their conscience, they are closing down their business. You may have heard in the news in the last couple of weeks the name Miriam Ibrahim. She is a lady in Sudan, a Christian sister who is married to a Christian from America. And she was charged in Sudan with the crime of adultery because she was supposedly raised in a Muslim family and she did not marry a Muslim. She married a Christian and converted to Christianity. Her claims is that she has been a Christian um, since she was a child. Her mother was actually a believer. And so um, the government imprisoned her there and they sentenced her to death by hanging. Now, the interesting thing was she was pregnant when they sentenced her to death by hanging. And so they said, we'll allow you to have the baby, and then you will be hung for these crimes. She was released last week, and there was much rejoicing in the church, around the world, um, in our government here. There are many letters written to our State Department crying out for her to be released, to do whatever we could to influence the government there to release her. And so they released her earlier this week. And as she and her husband and her children were making their way through the airport there in Sudan to get to the United States, since her husband is a citizen here, um, they were captured again at the airport. And they were arrested and told that their papers were fraudulent. Among many other charges, they held them. Now the word is, as of yesterday, that she has been re-released and she is at the U.S. Embassy in Sudan and being protected Um, by our government and hopefully will be brought to the United States um, for asylum. These are just three examples of where our religious liberties are being attacked all around the world and in the United States. These are just three examples. But we know that the church is being persecuted all over the world. And it's easy for those of us who come in on a Sunday morning and sit and sip our coffee and enjoy a a worship service together um, to become complacent about these things. To not think about brothers and sisters who are having to meet once every three to six months Um, underground where they won't be found and killed for their belief in Jesus Christ. We have a hard time um, empathizing with them. So this morning, my, my job and my desire is that 
you would see religious liberty as something that is foundational to a society. That you would see that it is actually biblical and not just political. And that you would see that it is our job to stand up against governments who would try to push down and suppress religious liberty, including our own. So in getting into this subject, we, we must first answer the question, does God care about religious freedom? I hear many people refer to passages like Romans 13, as well as others, um, and, and say, God doesn't care about religious freedom. When the church is persecuted, uh, the gospel still goes forth. And God just says that we should submit to our governing authorities, that we should obey the laws of the land, and we should proclaim the gospel whether it's lawful or not. But we shouldn't fight against um, persecution of the church. And I would argue that while that claim and while that belief, I think, is founded in a good place, wanting to submit to governing authorities, realizing that governing authorities have been put in place by God, I would submit to you that biblically it's, it's wrong. That biblically... God cares about religious freedom. Religious liberty is not just a right given to us by the U.S. Constitution. It is a divine right given to us by God. Jesus tells the Pharisees that people should be able to follow God and government at the same time. In this, in this story, Matthew 22, it says the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him, Jesus, in his words. They sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians saying, Teacher, we, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully. They're buttering him up, right? And you do not care about anyone's opinion for you are not swayed by appearances. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And Jesus said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, Therefore render to Caesar the thing that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. When they heard it, they marveled, and they left him and went away. Jesus has the understanding that we can serve the government while serving God at the same time. Jesus is preaching an idea of religious liberty and religious freedom under the government. Give to the government what is the government's. Give to God what is God's. We should be able to do the same thing. God desires that all people should freely worship him. Acts 17, if you want to turn there, verse 24 is where we will begin. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. He made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us, for for in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his 
offspring. Luke writes that God desires to be worshipped freely. He has allotted periods. He has allotted boundaries of their dwelling places. He has made every nation of mankind. And he desires that all people be able to freely worship him. Religious liberty is rooted in scripture. God is the Lord of the conscience, not man. Acts 5.29, Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. God is the Lord of the conscience, not man. It is not the government's right to tell me what my conscience will allow. It is not the government's job to tell me how and when I can worship my God. So if God cares about religious liberty, then we should care about religious liberty and religious freedom. But if Romans 13 is true, should we willingly submit to the government? Let's turn to Romans 13. This is the question we have to ask because this is the question that's going to get asked anytime you talk about this issue. But Romans 13 says we should submit to the government because... God put those authorities in place. So maybe we shouldn't fight against the government for religious freedom. Maybe we should just submit quietly. Romans 13, when you're there, say, "Uh uh-huh. All right. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore... Whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. Right now, it seems to say that if we resist the government, we incur judgment. It's where people take this passage. So let's keep reading. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God. An avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection. Not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. I'm supposed to be subject to the government. Or I incur God's wrath. Okay, the, He takes this lightly, apparently. Therefore, verse 5, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. So if we read this passage... I should be quiet, sit back, and let the government do whatever it would to me and subject myself to the government or incur the wrath of God, right? Okay, so we have some differing opinions, right? The passage seems to say that we should. And if we lived in a society with a king, we would. We would have to subject ourselves to the authority, Except for the fact that we have the United States Constitution, which says the government is who? We the people. We the people are the government in our country. So now it changes Romans 13. For our context and in our society, we are the government. We vote. 
We elect authorities. We elect representatives. We live in a democratic republic. We the people are the government. And we will be held accountable to God for how we run our government. Romans 13 says that God will hold the governments accountable for what they do. We are the government. So the question is not, will our government persecute Christians? Will our government press down religious liberty? The, the question for us in this democratic republic is, will we persecute believers? Will we persecute our brothers and sisters in Christ? Will we press down religious freedom? The answer must be a resounding no. We do not want to press down on religious liberty. So what does that term mean? I'm throwing around this word religious liberty. What, what does that mean? Where did it come from? What are its origins? Right? Because for most of the world's history, there's not been a democratic representative republic. Right? Like we're, we're very short time um, frame of the in, in scope of the world history, right? We're, we're only 250 some odd years old, right? Um, so, so what is this idea of religious liberty? John Leland, he was a leading Baptist evangelist in um, early colonial America. He was instrumental in ensuring that the U.S. Constitution included provisions that would prohibit the federal government from establishing a state religion or interfering with the citizens' free exercise of religion. And that came in the First Amendment to the United States Constitution. Something people misunderstand about the founding of our country is this idea that we were Christian. Now, I'm probably going to offend some people in this room right now. This nation was not founded by Christians. Let's, let's put that out there. Most of the founders were deists who were not believers. Um, now, there were a few who were. But there was a large Puritan population in colonial America. And in order to get them to sign on to a constitution, they required that many biblical principles show up in the Constitution of the United States. So while many of the signers of the Constitution may not have been believers, believers influenced heavily how this nation was founded. Because these guys wanted all these people to sign on. If the Puritans were going to sign on to this stuff, we have to, if we're going to get them all in on this thing, we've got to give to what they want. John Leland, one of these guys, Baptist evangelists, pushed hard for religious liberty. He had been persecuted under Great Britain. He had seen what had happened to many of the smaller um, denominations and religious sects that were rising in England. He didn't want that to happen here. And so he pushed for this religious liberty. For any government to serve the common good of all citizens, religious and non-religion, religious, freedom for religious expression must exist. Let me read that again. For any government to serve the common good of all citizens, religious and non-religious, freedom for religious expression must exist. This means respect and tolerance for the religious choices of others, whether they are Christian, Jewish, Muslim, Hindu, or atheist. Okay, now this can be found on ERLC.com. ERLC.com is the Ethics and Religious Liberties Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention. They are the arm of the Southern Baptist Convention that writes letters um, that 
lobbies um, Congress for legislation that um, would help us to keep a free conscience and um, be free in the area of religious expression. Commitment to the common good of all citizens is built on a foundation of freedom for religion. The chilling effects of freedom from religion, that is a posture of hostile neutrality or outright discrimination or persecution, extinguishes even the pretense of liberty. When we begin to push out religion, when we begin to push religious ideologies out of the public square, we extinguish even the pretense of liberty itself. And that brings us to the First Amendment of the United States Constitution, over which there is a lot of arguing. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion. And that's where many people stop. As long as the government's not setting up a religion, we're good. But that's not where the amendment ends. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. What does that mean? What, what do we get from that? Does that mean, okay, religious liberty means that we get to come to church on Sunday morning and worship freely and people can't kill us. We can't be arrested for gathering as a body of Christ and worshiping. No, that's not what that means. That's covered in the freedom of assembly later on in the amendment. Anybody has the freedom to assemble and talk about whatever they want. What does this idea of prohibiting the free exercise of religion mean? It means that religious people have the freedom to live out their religious beliefs in their daily lives. To have the freedom to exercise our religion means that my religion doesn't begin and end on Sunday. The framers of the Constitution, the framers of this amendment, the writers of this amendment understood that people who are religious, people that hold to biblical truth or any other kind of religious truth that they want to call it, um, it, it affects the way they live throughout the week. Or it should. If it doesn't, there's something wrong. But our religion... Our belief in Jesus Christ, our belief that the Bible is authoritative, affects the way we live everyday life. It affects our conscience. It affects how we act, how we treat others. This idea, it means that a Catholic doctor should not be forced by the government to perform an abortion. Free exercise of religion. A Catholic doctor says, my conscience will not allow me to abort a child. And so we have conscience clauses, right? And these conscience clauses that allow doctors to not do things that would go against their religious beliefs. It means that a Baptist baker should not be forced to take part in a gay marriage ceremony. It means that a Christian store owner should not be forced by their government to provide abortifacient drugs to their employees. It even means, listen closely, it even means that a Muslim congregation should not be kept from worshiping a few blocks from the World Trade Center just because we don't like it. See, we have this tendency in the church to think of religious liberty only from the side of a Christian. Right? So I don't want my rights infringed upon, but I'm okay with infringing on 
the rights of other people. That's not what this means. Freedom to exercise their religion means that we should be speaking up for the Muslim congregation who wants to have a mosque and worship in downtown New York City. Because guess what? Someday it could be the Baptists that want to worship in downtown New York City and the government there says, we don't want y'all that close to our stuff. We don't want you that close to the hottest nightclub in New York because y'all might be out there evangelizing people. Just this last week, the Supreme Court struck down the buffer zone law in Massachusetts, which provided for a 35-yard, I believe it was, um, buffer zone around an abortion clinic in Massachusetts where people who were pro-life couldn't come protest. They couldn't come speak to women who were entering the abortion clinic. The abortion clinic wanted these people kept at a distance because they need to make money. And if these people are out there evangelizing these girls and telling them that they'll help them and asking them if they want to see a sonogram of their baby that that might keep money from coming in the door of the abortion clinic. And the Supreme Court, thanks be to God, struck that down this last week as unconstitutional and against the First Amendment. But we as believers must be speaking out on religious liberty issues. We should be fighting for people of other religions that we may not agree with. But if we don't fight for them, someday it's coming to us. So so what do we do about it? What do we what do we do if this religious liberty thing is is founded in scripture, it's biblical It's in the First Amendment to the United States Constitution that we are provided the free exercise of religion. But we see religious liberties crumbling around us. And listen, friends, if you don't think they're crumbling around us, open your eyes. Our government, one arm of it has taken, actually I shouldn't even say government, it's a bureaucracy that was started by the government. So they have gone to court with brothers and sisters in Christ hoping to make them violate their conscience in this area of abortion and abortion-inducing drugs. Do we just stay silent? Well, it's the law of the land. We've got to obey the law of the land. We just stay quiet about it? Or are we called as brothers and sisters in Christ to unite around them, to pray for them, to vote differently. What do we do about it? First of all, we pray. 1 Timothy 2.1 First of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. We pray for our leaders. We pray for our government. I pray that those in our Congress in our White House, would come to faith in Jesus Christ, that they would repent of sin and turn to Christ. We pray for brothers and sisters around the world who are suffering violence and death for their faith. It's easy to sit in our padded chair on Sunday morning and not think about brothers and sisters who are being imprisoned and killed for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray for them. 
we recognize that we are one body with them. We vote. We vote. Let me say it again. We vote. We don't sit at home and say, well, I'm just picking from the better of two evils. All right, well, if you sit at home, then the evil of evils is going to get voted in, right? (laughs) Remember, we the people are the government, and God will hold the government accountable. If you're not voting, God will hold you accountable for the actions of our government. When our government begins to restrict our religious freedom, we will look back and we will think, why did I sit at home? Why did I not vote? Listen, are you ever going to vote for a politician that agrees with you on everything? No. People in your own family don't agree with you on everything. Right? So why do you expect that a politician is going to line up with you on everything? And this idea that, well, we can't just be one-issue voters. I'm not going to be a one-issue voter. That's seen by the rest of the world as uneducated. Oh, well, you only vote as it pertains to life and the abortion issue. All you Christians, you just care about your social issues. Abortion and gay marriage. They don't line up with those two, you're out. Guess what? If there was a presidential candidate who said, I want to bring back slavery, I could agree with him on everything else. But if he wanted to bring back slavery, guess what? He's not getting my vote. Why? Because that's a moral atrocity. I would never vote for that guy. In that instance, I'm a one-issue voter. When it comes to the, to the life of unborn babies, yes, I'm a one-issue voter. If they don't want to protect and defend lives that are created in the image of God, they don't get my vote. Don't sit at home. Don't look back when we can't come to meet anymore or when your business is closing down or when you lose your job because you can't freely exercise your religion. Don't look back and regret the decisions that you made to sit at home when you had the opportunity to vote. must pray, we must vote, and we must engage. We should engage our culture with the gospel of Jesus Christ. While we still have the freedom to speak about God and the gospel in the public square, we should use every opportunity to call sinners to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, many of you probably have multiple copies of this in your home. And it sits on the shelf, sits on the nightstand, you pick it up on Sunday morning, you bring it to church, you take it home, lay it back down, it doesn't get touched again until the next week. We have brothers and sisters in Christ around the world who are dying for this. 
I had a good friend go to Africa on a mission trip, and he was there just to teach the Bible. And it was supposed to be just a couple of hours a day he was going to teach the Bible. And so he went in, and he sat down one morning, and he began to teach. Two hours went by. People had not moved. They, they sat engaged, listening to every word. And after two hours, as he began to close things down, they said, no, no, no. No, no, no. Please, please keep going. So he said, okay. So he went a little longer. He sat and taught them for eight hours every day for two weeks. And he said, these people wouldn't even get up to go to the restroom. They stayed. And they listened. They were so hungry to hear the word of God taught. They don't have copies of their own. They just wanted to sit and listen to the word of God. Dear brothers and sisters, do we take this for granted? We just let it sit while brothers and sisters across the world are dying to hear this. Just, just take it for granted. I pray that we would be a people who are engaging others with the gospel of Jesus Christ while we still have that opportunity. Your job probably can't fire you for asking a coworker to dinner to talk about the gospel. Your job probably can't fire you just for talking to somebody about the gospel at work. Are, are you taking those opportunities? Look, someday you may not have that opportunity. We must be engaging our friends, our neighbors, our family with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're going to do something a little different this morning. Um, I want you where you are to either turn around, gather in some groups, and we're going to have some prayer together for the persecuted church around the world, for um, this court decision that comes down tomorrow on the Hobby Lobby case, whether or not you think this is important or a big deal, it is a big deal to our religious liberty here in America, and we should be praying for those things. So if you would, just take a moment, gather with some, some people around you, um, and let's pray. And I, I want you to let this guide your prayer. First, we're going to pray for the Hobby Lobby court decision. It's tomorrow. It's um, coming quickly. For the Lord gives wisdom, Proverbs 2, from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. So I want you to pray that this morning, that God will give the justices of the Supreme Court the wisdom to make a decision that will not hinder our religious liberty and that he would watch over his saints and that he would protect the owners of Hobby Lobby. By the way, if, if they lose this case, a million dollars a day in fines, and they will go out of business. There's, there's no question. It's going to be $36,000 a year in fines per employee. So Hobby Lobby will cease to exist if this decision goes against them tomorrow. So let's pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ now.
Father, we recognize that the Lord gives wisdom. That wisdom is from you, that understanding is from you, that knowledge is from you. And God, we recognize that you are sovereign over all things, all events, and all human lives. The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord, and he turns it wherever he wishes. So God, we come before you, united as one body, as brothers and sisters of the Greens. God, we pray for the Supreme Court decision that comes down tomorrow. God, that you would give these justices wisdom, understanding. Father, and that you would watch over your saints. That you would protect them. Father God, that our religious freedoms would be protected in the decision tomorrow. Father, I pray that if they lose this battle, if they, they lose this litigation, Father, and they lose their business, that you would lift them up you would encourage them, that brothers and sisters would come around them and edify them and walk with them because, God, they decided to obey you rather than man. And Father, their money, their wealth, their business didn't mean as much to them as following you. God, I pray for believers here in this room that we would stand with the greens and like the greens, that we would obey you rather than man, that we would seek to follow our conscience and the scriptures. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you would now take a minute. We're not through. You get to pray a lot more this morning. Take a minute and pray for Miriam Ibrahim, this Sudanese lady who is now being held at the U.S. Embassy with her family. Pray that God would bring them safely back to the United States, that they would not be arrested again or be in harm again. And pray for our brothers and sisters in the persecuted church around the world. That God would show them that they have brothers and sisters in the United States who, who care for and love them. Let's do that now for just a couple of minutes. Pray for brothers and sisters around the world.
as you continue in prayer, pray for our leaders and elected officials, that their hearts would be turned to Christ, that they would repent of their sin and follow Jesus, that he would grant them wisdom and knowledge as they write our laws and as they help govern our nation. Lastly, as you continue in prayer, would you pray that we would be a people who are engaging our neighbors, our friends, and our family with the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we don't take our situation in this free country for granted, and that we would be going out and spreading the good news of Jesus.